I'm up here. And um, Darlene is a great faithful servant here. Some of you know her. She never likes to be up front. She's always behind the scenes doing lots of things. But Darlene recently got back from Piedras Negras, Mexico. She went down there for a week and worked with our one of our strategic partners in Collegio Biblico, the Bible college that's down there. Now, our trips this year, we, we kind of had some things happen in our scheduled trips in January. Some things fell through. The guy who leads the trips, Rick, had a family situation, and he had to pull out, so we had to cancel one week. But anyway, he rescheduled it, and Darlene really wanted to go, and so uh, she went down there with five other guys. She was the only female, and so I couldn't make it, and I'm like, I'm Darlene, I'm just sending you uh, with Rick on, on these guys, but I asked her just to come and share a little bit about her trip today, just in a few minutes, to tell you guys. We support them financially. Some of you in this room have been down there, so I just wanted you to hear from Darlene what her experience was. Um, for some of you who don't know me, the last three years has been pretty much a journey of discovery and challenge and stretching. Um, Matt talks a lot about getting out of your comfort zone, and that's very true on this trip. Um, they, uh, the, the, the announcement came in November, I believe it was, of Thanksgiving, and I didn't have a passport. I thought I needed one, so I went ahead and did it and took the leap and said, okay, I was prompted that God was going to make me go on this trip whether I wanted to or not, and so I went ahead and said, okay, I'm going to commit to the passport and see what happens. Um, amazingly, in the funding and asking questions period, um, I had two people in the church step up um, to provide for the trip, um, which was amazing. So financially, um, with a relative, we were able to finance the trip. Um, and so God provided that. Um, at work, they provided an extra week of vacation um, to somebody in my situation, and so it didn't afford me anything for vacation, which was amazing. So God provided there. And let me tell you, I am a very anxious person. Um, so the stretching was in the anxieties of I might have to fly, which we didn't. It is a 23-hour bus ride if you go all the way down and all the way back in a church bus. But they do have bunk beds. Um, that's interesting. Um, so again, I was on a bus with these five guys I've never met before, and they were very tight. They knew each other very well. And so sometimes they forgot it was there, but that's okay. I was comfortable with that. I was afraid I was going to get beat up or injured, you know, and, and these college students were going to beat me up, and uh, I actually was the baby. Um, all of them were older, and so I got to hear about their families and all that, so that was comfortable. Um, yes, I was the only woman, but actually I think in that sense God provided because I needed some solitude and I needed time to think and process through the last few years. And so God, amazingly, on the bus ride and down there, I had a piece about it, um, and everything was provided. And even though the gentlemen had camaraderie, I was okay listening to them laughing in the other end of the room, um, playing their cards. But it was, it was an experience um, just being able to paint. Um, we were doing finish work, and so I was able to paint and do some things that I enjoyed doing. And it was like, here's the time for you to rest and disconnect from the busyness of life and just reflect on what I've done for you. Um, and it, it was definitely well worth it. So, and so what's, uh, what's another thing that God taught you in this? If, if you could mm. say one thing that God taught you on the trip. Um, for me, it was the stretching. Like I said, the getting out of the comfort zone. Um, change, because it was rescheduled, so mm -hmm. I committed, and then it was rescheduled, and just having these fears. And I think at the same time, the person who was leading it was also being challenged um, with all of the change and being flexible. So I think the idea that give God an inch, you know, it was like, okay, God, I'm going to take this leap. I'm going to give you the inch. And he took the mile, but it was okay because he gave you the strength and the courage to get through it. So how are you different because you went down there for a week? Oh, good question. Um, that's a good one. Um, how am I different? Um, I, 
I don't know exactly if I can describe it, but I've had people saying over the last few months that I have changed so much from what they knew me before. And I think mm. even in the last week, with all the things stressed out at work and, and making up for the time that I took off and, and some of the things with FDA that we're working through, um, people are seeing that there's a strength that I can't even describe, the undescribable mm. strength that he provides to get through it. And people are seeing that. I don't know how it's coming out. Yeah. I think it's the whole being used and it's coming yeah. out. That's, I think, how I've changed, but I'm yeah. still trying to be able to figure out how to articulate that. Yeah. What surprised you about what God was doing down in Mexico with the people and the churches that you worked with? Um, I was impressed with some of the students that I've been able to keep in touch with, um, how much God is using them and how much they're focused on that. And in American culture, there seems to be a stigma. You know, I don't want to be a Jesus freak or something like that. And these people are living it. It's real, um, genuine. There's an opportunity for them to go to the Colegio Biblico. And so um, it, for them, it's a lifetime opportunity. And it was nice to see that and see how God's working in their lives. Oh, good. That's good deal. Let me pray for you, okay? Thank you for sharing that. Father, I thank you for Darlene. I thank you for her faithfulness. I thank you for stretching her. Thank you for giving her this opportunity, and uh, we're just happy just to hear a little bit about her trip, and we thank you for her faithfulness. Thank you for Rick Smalling and for Daniel Lamas that's down there in Mexico and that does the work, and we pray that you would just continue to pour out your spirit upon um, the people of Piedras Negras and the churches and the college and everything that goes on. In Christ's name, amen. All right, Darlene, thank you. Okay, I want you to think of a time now, everybody in here, where you've been at someone else's mercy, okay? Some point in your life, something's happened. Maybe you did it, maybe you didn't do it, whatever, but you found yourself completely at someone else's beck and call, their mercy. You didn't really have a lot of say in what was going to happen. You were just going to have to deal with whatever was decided. Now, let me tell you an experience that I had that was like that. When I was in high school, I think it was before my junior year, went to church camp with my church. We were at Milligan College in Johnson City, Tennessee, and um, my cousin had brought a bunch of bottle rockets, and we had decided that it would be a great idea to shoot them off out the window of our fifth-story room that we had there in the dorms. So we did so, and, you know, it was, the, the colors were beautiful and the sound, you know, over the Tennessee horizon and the bombs bursting in air. And we were just having a ball. We were just thinking this is the greatest thing to be away from mom and dad and shooting bottle rockets on a fifth-story building it was just amazing. And, and we had to go meet uh, our youth minister, and so we quickly grabbed our stuff. And I remember opening the door, and right when I was opening the door was, like, the campus security guard, you know, standing there with his hands on his hips, just looking at me right in the eye. I had nothing to say. I mean, there were no words that came to me. I looked back at my cousin. He's standing there with a fistful of bottle rockets, and we were like, oh, no. I mean, it's not like we can deny it. It's not even, you know, can't even lie about it. Can't, we, we just got totally caught. We knew that, you know, what it, that we could be sent home. We didn't know what was going to happen. And um, the guy went and talked to our youth minister, and he made us give him all the fireworks. And so in the end, in the end, um, they let us off the hook, and we didn't actually get in trouble, and I didn't serve any jail time or get sent into juvenile detention because of it. But in that moment, I realized I was totally at the mercy of someone else. Now, I was completely guilty, I mean, but I was totally at someone else's mercy. And I want you to think of a time in your life when you have been like that. Maybe in that time you feel vulnerable, 
Maybe you're scared, maybe rejected, and you're not sure what's going to be happening. You're not sure if whatever you did is going to get reported. You're not sure if you're going to get embarrassed. You're not sure if you're going to get arrested. You're not sure if they're going to write it on social media. You're not sure what's going to happen. So if you have that mindset, today we're going to look at a story in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, of a woman who was at someone else's mercy. And she had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. And we're going to look at that story in John chapter 8. So I encourage you to follow along. If you have a Bible there, we'll have the verses up on the screen. But we call the story the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. And some of you are familiar with that story. But I'd like to ask you to look at it with fresh eyes today. And we're going to look at this woman who was definitely the mercy of Jesus, at the mercy of the religious rulers. And we're going to look at how it got handled And then we're going to look at some things that would apply to you and I in our walk with Christ. Okay, so John chapter 8, starting with verse 1. This is what we read. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple, and a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. Now, it was a Jewish custom that a teacher would come to the temple and teach. That's just what they did, and people would gather. Now, in the first century, though, when this is going on, Jesus is like a first century rock star, okay, wherever he's going. I mean, thousands of people are going and listening to him. Wherever he goes, there is problems with the crowd. Um, There's that causes bathroom problems, which causes food problems, which causes, uh, I don't know if they had a fire marshal, but there would have been fire marshal issues. Everywhere Jesus went, the people were just flocking to hear him and the things that he had to say. So imagine that he goes in the temple, people are just standing outside, looking in the window, like, you know, we don't have that problem here today, but imagine people just like looking in all the windows, trying to listen to everything Jesus said. Verse three, as he was speaking, the teacher's of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. So the religious leaders go and drag this woman, who they claim has been caught in the act of adultery. We really don't know a lot about her. We don't know her name. She seems to not deny the charges, but we don't really know much about her. We don't know if she was married or not or how it comes, but they bring her in front of all the people while Jesus is teaching, verse 4, and say, teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of of adultery, which is clearly a violation of the Old Testament law and truly not God's best for her. Verse 5, the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say, Jesus? Now, they were partially right, the, the religious leaders, and I say partially because the Old Testament law instructed that if adultery occurred, that the man and the woman would be stoned. And there are references in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, and Deuteronomy 22, 22, if you want to look those up later. But by not bringing the man also, they were really disregarding their own law, but they weren't really interested in the lady. They were just really interested in using the lady to trap Jesus. So in, in, in some ways, they're violating their own law here. Verse 6, they were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. So here's what's going on. If Jesus said that the woman should be stoned, then they, or should not be stoned. If he said she should not be stoned, then they were going to accuse Jesus of breaking the law of Moses in the Old Testament, because clearly the Bible said that she should be. So they think if if Jesus says no, then we've got him. Well, if Jesus urged them to stone her, then they were going to report him to the Romans, because the Romans did not permit 
Jews to execute or to, have any, to, to kill someone else. So they thought, we've got him trapped. If he says, yes, we're going to do this. If he says, no, we're going to do this. We got him right where we want him. They had no regard, again, for, the, for this lady, but they were trying to use her to make a point and to prove that Jesus was wrong. Second part of verse 6. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Now, this was the first sign to the religious leaders, or should have been, that something was going eerily wrong. Because instead of just giving them the answer, you know, they think we've got him, we've got him, Jesus just, like, starts writing things in the sand. And, and I think you can hear some of them start going, uh-oh. Like, I think the audio would have changed in the soundtrack, you know what I mean, to almost be this more eerie sound, like, uh-oh, something, you know, when something's going to happen. So that, that's what happens, and I love how calm and cool collected Jesus was. And they're hoping to rattle him or embarrass him, but look what happens in verse 7. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up and said again, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Now, notice the brilliance of what Jesus did. He upheld the law of the Old Testament by allowing them to stone her, but he emphasized the beauty of mercy and grace and compassion. And this wasn't something that that the Pharisees had thought about. They hadn't even, like, bargained on this. They hadn't even thought that there would be some other alternative. Verse 8, Then he stooped down again, and he wrote in the dust. And again, we don't know what Jesus was writing, but we do know this. Whatever he was writing in the sand had a very powerful effect on the people who were watching. So whatever he was doing, they were were watching him. We know that something about it had this effect. Now, I don't know this to be true, but I would love to think that maybe, maybe, maybe Jesus was writing their names and things that they had done in the sand perhaps their deepest, darkest sins. And when they look and realize that he is writing that, that, that you know, they realize this guy is, is truly who he says he is. I don't know that to be true. But, but I would love to think that if Jesus wrote like, Ephraim, wife doesn't know about the girlfriend. And all of a sudden Ephraim's like, whoa, okay, how did, how did he know that? What if he wrote, Josiah, takes money out of the temple offering and gives some to himself. I mean, what would that have been like? Or or, or what about if he said, Asher drag races his dad's camel on Saturday nights when his dad doesn't know about it. Whatever would be the case. That's just fun to think about if Jesus would have done that. But whatever he did, whatever he wrote, however it happened, there's something that had a great effect on the people who were watching. Verse 9, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, quietly and and quickly, and began with the oldest until Jesus was the only one left in the middle of the ground, in the middle of the crowd with the woman. So I think you could hear the sound of the rocks falling, the rocks that they already had in their hand. They were ready to, to throw them at this lady. All of a sudden, they just start dropping the rocks, and you just thud, 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 and and the dust, like, comes up as they hit the ground, and they all just start walking away. Now, verse 10, then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said, and Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus didn't ignore what the lady had done, but he dealt with it and addressed it in a way that communicated compassion and mercy to her. 
So here's the bottom line of what I wanna, want us to focus on today. If you get nothing else, get this one thing. Jesus didn't make a point. He made a difference. And it's much easier for us to make a point, but it's much harder to make a difference. And I think a lot of what we have going on in our culture, a lot of what we have going on in America is the church and Christianity working very hard to make a point and really missing it totally on how instead we could make a difference in people's lives. So here's four observations that we're going to look at that would apply to us. First observation is this from this passage. Showing the grace of Jesus requires theology and love, and theology means all the things that we would believe about the Bible and Scripture, but love always trumps theology. See, the world only knows the church for what it believes, and sometimes if all they see is what we believe and they don't see the act of love carried out, then somehow we have missed the mark. If all they see is our theology, the do's and the don'ts, but they don't see the love of Christ living in us, then we have somehow failed in our mission. Now, some of us in here grew up in churches where it was all about what you believed, okay? You know, you you baptized this way and you had to do it this way and you didn't do it that way, or about communion. You took it every week or you took it quarterly or you had to take it like this or you had to use real wine or you had to use unleavened bread or you had to and we were the right ones and everyone else was the wrong ones or it was about the second coming you know we believe this about the second coming and those people believe it a different way so we're the ones that are right and everyone else is wrong and so you get this reputation of those are the people who believe this certain thing others of us went to churches where we were known for what we were against you know we were against things we were against dancing you know you don't dance Good Christians don't dance against going to R-rated movies, against Disney, against um, a certain political party, against rock music. You can just choose anything. But so many times, we may have grown up in churches or been a part of churches, or we even may see churches today that are known for what they believe and what they are against. But there's very little demonstration of God's love. And to me, I think that's where our theology misses the point. If we have theology, but we don't have grace, then our theology means nothing because people don't see the love of Christ in it. Jesus showed the woman that day a a mercy and a love that she had never seen before. And he could have very easily made a point with the woman. Like the point being, what you did was wrong, you're a bad person, you shouldn't do that, where's your husband, why did you do that? But he didn't. He saw her and he loved her and he showed her love that communicated way more. But he knew that there was something more important and better and more preferred than making a point, and that was demonstrating God's love and grace and mercy to her. Okay, second observation. Showing the grace of Jesus may put you in conflict with religion. That's what Jesus, a lot of the gospels we find, he was in direct conflict with religion and the religious leaders because of showing people grace and mercy. There are plenty of people, and I think... Christians and the church is is guilty of it, who are very quick to picket, protest, condemn, accuse, point a finger, or judge, because that's what religion does. It makes a point, but Jesus bucked what he saw in religion because he was more interested in helping a person see God's love. And the challenge is for us to do the very same thing. And my iPad just locked up. And I got nothing. 
So we'll go to the next point. Observation number three, showing the grace of Jesus means loving those who don't necessarily, who you don't necessarily agree with. And that is hard sometimes, like with the church that I grew up in, and many times for Christians, we have a hard time loving people that we don't agree with. When I worked in the Genesis shelter for two years, uh, and that hasn't been going on for a couple of years, but some of you in here worked in that, and they were providing a homeless shelter uh, to people, a non-barrier homeless shelter. One of the things that God was teaching me during that time is it's, it's really okay. In fact, it's not okay. It's actually preferred. It's actually the way to do it, to love people that you don't necessarily agree with. You don't necessarily agree with the choices that they've made. You don't necessarily agree with how they've gotten themselves in this situation. You don't necessarily agree with what they're going to do tomorrow. You don't necessarily agree with a lot of those things, but in, instead of them being reasons not to love someone, in fact, I think we see in this passage, Jesus says that's the very reason to love those people, to show them love. Not because you don't agree with them. And somehow in the church, sometimes we think if we don't agree with them, then we put them in this other category. Instead, Jesus is saying if you don't agree with them, that's all the more reason to love them. It's all the more reason to show them God's love. Fourth observation Showing the grace of Jesus means that you have to be willing to embrace the craziness. And sometimes when you show God's love and mercy to people, it gets dirty and ugly and messy. Now, I'm a person that I love that feeling of when you walk into a clean hotel room for the first time. Does anybody else get that? Like you open the door and you open it, and it's just like, oh, the bed is made and all the towels are clean and it's all put away and you've got your little shampoos and you've got your soap and you're just like, this is such a good feeling. And, and then if you mess it all up and, and leave the next day and then if you come back, somebody comes back in and fixes it all again and you have new soap and new shampoo and new towels and the bed's made. That is just a wonderful feeling. But that is not real life, is it? That is not the way real life works. And if you show people love and grace and mercy, as Jesus did, you realize that it's messy and dirty and hard and difficult, but it shouldn't keep us from it. The thing that I love about Jesus is he didn't run away from the messes. You can read the Gospels, and as Sadie said, people here are now reading through the Gospels. You will see over and over and over, Jesus ran right to the middle of the mess, right to where it was difficult and hard and um, not sure what was going to happen, but he showed love and grace and mercy to people. Instead of trying to make a point and say, you shouldn't have done that, and you shouldn't do this, and you should stop doing that, he was full of all of that truth, but at the same time, it was all covered with a love that was just undeniable. Now, here's what I want us to do. I want us to spend some time trying to apply this story and those observations to our own lives. And so I want to ask you just a couple of questions. First question is for each of us, how are you like the Pharisees? Are you guilty? Am I guilty of treating people as like trying to make a point? Or, you know, there's just, it has to be done this way. Or if you're not like me, then you're just absolutely wrong. And just like Jesus was in conflict with them. How are you and I in conflict? How are we like the Pharisees? We would like to think that they are the bad guys. They, they are the ones that we read in the Bible. Oh, those horrible Pharisees. But when I read it, the more I'm honest with myself, the more I see that many times I can be like them. I can be like them in my attitudes. I can be like them in the ways where I withhold love and grace and mercy from people because 
I think, well, it's, I've got my reason. I've got my, I stand on this principle. I'm gonna stand on this principle. Jesus was full of all of those things because I think the interesting thing is when you think about the Pharisees and the religious leaders in Jesus' day and time, Jesus did not disagree with them on beliefs. He believed theologically all the same things that they did. It was just how they chose to live out their faith, which were they lived it up with rules and regulations and do's and don'ts and punishments. Jesus said, I'm bringing a new way, believe all the same things, but I'm full of grace and I'm full of mercy. And I, people will respond to the love of God in that way. So how are you like the Pharisees? Number two, how are you like the woman? Maybe for some of you in here today, you find yourself, you, you need grace. You need to know of God's love. And you know, if you're here today and you've never, you've never experienced that or, or if you've never felt like you've gotten a dose of it or you've never come to a point in your life where you fully understood that, that Christ can forgive all the things that you've done in the past and will do in the future, I'd love to talk to you about that. I'd love to sit down and have a conversation and a cup of coffee and explain to you what that looks like, what that feels like, and how you can start taking steps if that's something that you decide to do. And then, finally, how can you be more like Jesus? How can you and I be more like Jesus in our interactions with people? We all have people we work with, live with, go to school with, see, that are very much maybe feeling just like the woman in that story, and how can we be more like Jesus? How can we make a difference in people's lives instead of just trying to make a point? It's much easier to make a point. It's much easier to say you're wrong because of here's my eight reasons. It's much easier to say you shouldn't do that because here's all your Bible verses. It's much easier to say I don't, I don't, hang around people like that because of all of these things. But it's much harder to really think if I really wanted to make a difference in that person's life, what would that look like? And sometimes we have to be willing as followers of Christ to think I'm gonna have to swallow my uh, making a point and keep all that to myself and just show this person God's love. And trust that in the end, God is perfectly capable of convicting them, of guiding them, and helping them make maybe better decisions in the future, but it's not my responsibility to point out all their faults. It's my responsibility to love them. So that's my challenge for us this week, is to figure out how we can be less like the religious leaders, understand the grace that Jesus showed this woman, and then try to be more like that to our friends, family, and people that we come in contact with. Well, let me pray, and then um, I want you to put, show your attention to the screen. Hey, God, thanks so much for the story in John 8, and um, always amazed at Jesus and his ability to think on his feet, that he was fully man and yet fully God, and he just shows us um, how um, the rules and the regulations and all the things sometimes that we wrap up in our faith get in the way of truly showing someone God's love. And forgive us for the times when we're like that and help us to be more like Christ and help us to be fully accepting of that grace and mercy to a point where we have it abundantly and can pour it out then into other people. I thank you for the time we've had to look at your scriptures today. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.
When we take communion each week, we remember that kind of grace and that kind of mercy that was first shown to us through Jesus with elements of bread that represent his body that died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sin and the juice that represents his blood that was poured out as an, as an offering, as a sacrifice to become the sacrificial lamb. So you're invited to participate here in just a moment and Jeremy and the band's gonna come up and uh, sing with us and just come forward and you can just tear a piece of bread off and just dip it in the juice and then take it then or take it back to your seat. It's really your time to do whatever you want on how God leads you and uh, you can reflect. So let me pray and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. God, thank you for the reminder of your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the elements of bread and juice just as a reminder that when we take those, we remember that sacrifice of love. We remember that uh, you covered our sins, you paid for them, and Father, that none of us are um, free of sin. We all have that, and you cover it and wipe it clean as far as the east is from the west. And so we celebrate that and remember Christ's sacrifice today. Amen.